0: on uh, Jacob that we're doing this summer. And we, we looked at uh, the situation with Jacob's marriages and his uh, wives, servants and the fact that God was faithful to bring uh, children into his marriage after he was tricked into uh, uh, marrying uh, Leah and then uh, marrying Rachel. And uh, we just talked about just how the crazy story about one wife buying another wife's time with her husband and all that kind of stuff. And so What I wanted to focus on today is something that jumps out at the text uh, near the end of the chapter about God remembering Rachel. So uh, I wanted to read uh, uh, Genesis 31 and 2 and then 22 through 24, and we're going to focus our attention upon this issue of what it means for God to remember us. But before I uh, read that passage, let me pray. Father, we uh, uh, confess to you that we are forgetful. We are unmindful, even neglectful. Uh, And our joy today, our uh, hope today, is that you never neglect us. You never forget us. You are ever with us and you are ever for us. So pray uh, for the suffering here today. I pray for the cold and uh, the uh, disengaged. For those who have forgotten you, that you would warm their hearts by reminding them uh, that you remember them. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Genesis 31 and 2, and then 22 to 24, the text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So uh, there's a dumb uh, proverb statement that says, um, uh, to err is human and to forgive divine, right? Uh, which actually ignores the fact that uh, we're called on to forgive, right? Uh, so, uh, but I really think a better way uh, to think about that is... Uh, uh, to forget is human, and to remember is divine. To be a human being is to forget, It's to be forgetful. Now, some of you are better at this than others, but for the most part, we, we forget, don't we? Uh, it's a part of, of, of human life. Uh, a few years ago, I was having uh, my second um, uh, cataract surgery, And um, that's a thing you do when you get old. And um, I uh, uh, had let this cataract get completely out of control. So I was completely blind in one eye, completely blind. Literally couldn't couldn't even see light or dark out of it. So stubbornly thinking that it would get better on its own, which, you know, nothing ever gets better on its own. It only gets worse, at least in my life. But anyway... um, so uh, I, I went, you know, Marty took me over to the surgery place and where uh, you know, uh, they, you know, we, we check in and they have the board up there that's color coded with your number, you know, and pink means you're in the, that room where they get you ready and then red means they're doing it to you and then yellow means you're in recovery and green means you can go home. Uh, so they took me back there, and one of the things that they do for you, uh, which is really a great thing uh, that they do for you when you have your cataract, because, you know, the cataract's in your eye, right? So that means they operate on your eye, they cut your eye, right? Let's think about that for a minute. And so one of the, one of the things that uh, uh, that they do for you is they give you the the Michael Jackson drug, you know, propofol, to knock you out for about 10 minutes so they can stick a needle in here and uh, freeze all the pain and all the muscles around your eye, so you don't. Not only do you not feel anything, your eye won't move. So they did that to me. It's a very pleasant sleep for ten minutes, and then you wake up. You can still see. You know that, that you know your eyes are open. You're sitting there, and you're like, you really can't tell that big a difference, but your eye's frozen. It can't move. You can't feel anything. So I waited. Took a nap, thought this isn't so bad, this is really good. And I waited, and I waited, and Marty's waiting out there, and the thing waiting for the color to change, she thinks it's cardiac arrest. She goes up and says something to the lady at the desk, and I guess word got back, and the nurse comes back to my room, or where the little bed I'm laying in there, warm hospital blanket thinking, you know, what a great way to spend your day off. And um, I said to her, I'm like, I think you guys forgot me. Oh, no. We would never do that. And I said, well, I got news for you. Before you take me back for this surgery, I'm pretty sure that drug that you put in here has worn off. And I am not gonna let that doctor stick that knife in my eye until, you know, we, someone told me this week I had the gift of being direct. And so, (laughs) let's be clear what we're talking about here. And she's like, there's no way, that's impossible, Mr. Shelby. Move your eye for me. So I moved it. And she was like, wait right here. I'm like. (laughs) Do I have a choice? Uh, I think I've already been doing that. Can you not commend me on the great job that I'm doing waiting? And they had forgotten me. And they had to redo the drug and do all this, and it, it took forever. And what was fascinating about it is no one would admit that they forgot me. Right? They wouldn't do it. Um, and I kept telling them. Even while the doctor was operating on me, I'm, you know, you're still awake. I'm like, you forgot me, didn't you? Which is a <laughs> fraught thing to do when a guy who's operating on your eye, right? <laughs> yeah, we forget. It used to bug the daylights out of us when we, uh, uh, when our kids were little and uh, our extended family would forget. Our kids' birthdays because we lived away from our family and we just you know they loved us but they forgot us, and so Marty came up with this great idea that for Christmas gifts we get we would give calendars with people's birthdays <laughs> written into the calendars. I didn't go over. We forget. Um. This morning I woke up and I thought it's a, it's finally, you know, actually below 80 degrees and I'd like some fresh air in the house. So I went around and uh, got up very early and opened all the, the doors and the screens and all this stuff to let some fresh air at. Drank my coffee, came to church, I was getting ready to go to church and I was looking at my stuff on the kitchen counter and as I was gathering it up, I... I went out the door, and I, I you know, I want to leave the, the the screens open, but I locked the screen doors, and walked in my truck and realized that I had left my um, truck key on the kitchen counter. And the great thing about our screen doors is the really great thing for security is you can't unlock them from the outside. And I thought, well, I'll text Marty and she'll wake up and come. But the problem is, Marty's about 60 feet away from her phone because as I send her the text, her phone buzzes. I hear it down in the den while she's still blissfully unaware. And so I learned how to break into my house. We forget. We forget. So here's the thing for us today, You know, we forget the little things like that, but what perhaps what's hardest for us is in our darkness and in our suffering and especially in our grief and our life with unfulfilled desires, it seems to us at times like God has forgotten us, that he is not mindful of our pain that he is no longer with us, and that somehow or other, we have escaped his notice. So, the, the problem with that is, and what really uh, drives that, I think, is that when our need or our unfulfilled desire or our sadness or our grief becomes so intense, that relief from that pain becomes the only way that we can believe that God is mindful of us or that God loves us, the longer we linger in that pain and that difficulty, the harder it is to believe that God is good, that he is for us, that he is with us, and that as we struggle, that he is, as we just sang, bearing with us, Our suffering. The consistent testimony of the scripture, the consistent word to us in the gospel, and the consistent word to us throughout the Bible is that God is ever mindful of his people even in our darkest, most difficult times. And not only is he mindful of us, he is with us in the midst of our suffering. As we've read over the last several days or several weeks this summer, One of the things that we have to recognize is, is though, that many of us feel like we make jokes and we kind of make light of the fact that there's much dysfunction in our families. Trust me, I know of no one in this church who has a a family like the one we've been reading about, where uh, uh, twin brothers wrestle with each other in uh, their mother's womb, and then they cheat and steal and sell what is rightfully theirs. They trick their father, they trick one another, they trick their future son-in-laws, their uh, uh, wives are buying and competing with one another for their husband's affection. And from this family springs the very fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to bless all the nations. It is a uh, and the scene that we have here, where poor Leah, who is unattracted to uh, unattractive to uh, Jacob, who Jacob not, does really doesn't love, God blesses her with with many children, and Rachel, the desirable one, the one that Jacob had set his sights on from the first day that he met her, remains barren, and so. How or what What are we to make of this as we see Rachel crying out to her husband, crying out to God, in her pain, in her struggle for years, many years, until she conceives and bears a son. I came across this uh, uh, quote that I think is, uh, I don't know, it just struck me this week. So maybe you can't relate. Uh, to what's going on in uh, Rachel's life. But that first sentence right there is worth thinking about. Marriage is a tight circle of two. Many of us uh, struggle with that in our marriages, that uh, there are others and other things that intrude upon that tight circle. And that should never be. And poor Rachel and Leah... And their servants, Zilpah and Bilhah, are stuck in this circle that is only meant for two. And there they are, just in this hellish situation. Rachel and Leah were both denied the sweet intimacy that can only exist when two people are alone in a marriage. They likely both felt forgotten by both their husband and by God. And forgotten is a feeling that we can all identify with. People will absolutely forget us. Terrible marriages, absent parents, distracted friends, and even children can pass over us as they forge ahead in life. Uh, 14 years ago when I was on a sabbatical in 2008, I, I read this great series of sermons by the Scottish Pastor Robert Murray McShane that he uh, preached on uh, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And one of the things that he says in that text, and one of the things that has stuck with me, uh, and I talk about it often, and I know people like to stick their fingers in their ears when I say this, but but the truth of the matter is a day will come when everyone who has known you or loved you, when everyone who has known people who knew you and loved you, they'll all be dead. And the only memory that will exist probably for you will be somewhere out in the ether. Maybe there's an obituary with your name in it and the story of your life. And maybe there's a stone in a garden somewhere with your name on it. And people will pass by it, and they'll say, I wonder wonder who that was, if they notice at all. The great news in this is, as forgetful as people are, God in Jesus Christ by his spirit, is ever mindful, ever mindful of us. Even when human memory ceases to hold on to us, God remembers. He remembers his promise. He remembers his heart. He remembers you. He remembers your pain, your suffering. He remembers you and he knows you, and he will raise you up in the last day. He won't forget you. He won't leave you behind, right, if you belong to him. And so what are we to make of what's happening in this text? Next slide. Well, it's a, it's a crazy situation. I mean, as we have seen here, it makes sense that that Rachel must think, well, my, you know, she has to go bargain to get her husband to pay her mind. She has to uh, Uh, as she's watching what's happening around her, it it must seem to her, and and frankly, you know, infertility, barrenness is one of those things that is uh, just uh, such a mind-numbingly, just a horrible situation because month after month after month after month you're disappointed and it seems like you die a little more every single month well that's what she's experiencing and not only is she experiencing that in her own life and in her own body but what she's experiencing is everybody around her is fertile myrtles right i mean they are churning out the babies like nobody's business it's only exacerbates the the situation that she uh, uh, is in. And, you know, it's an important thing to recognize because all of these people are such graspers and such wrestlers and such grabbers after things that when we read this about her crying out here, you know, by the time she has a baby, the score is 10 to nothing. And everybody in this story is keeping score. You, you know, they have that... Uh, it's a 10 run slaughter rule, right? In Little League, right? They should have called it off, right? At this stage of the game, she's down 10 to nothing. They're, you know, how, how's she ever gonna make this up? And yet, her heart, a, she will not be convinced that God is for her until she has a child. And even the thing that jumps out at the text here is that when Joseph is born, she names him Joseph, saying, what? Lord, praise you that gave me a child. No, she says, may the Lord add to me another son. <laughs> right? We read in Genesis 38, a great kind of text that really you could, you, could, you could say summarizes everybody's relationship in this crazy story. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Right? Remember, Jacob and Esau wrestled in utero. Jacob is going to wrestle with God in a few chapters. I mean, these people are scrapping after everything. They are grasping, grabbing, untrusting as if there is no God, no promise, no sense of the divine love for them at all. And they're all caught in this web of their own desires and their own needs and it, it, it's as if there is no God at all and yet God sees God remembers now one of the things that you that you have to note about this and I don't think this is an accident when Moses writes this text it says then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her now most of the way we think about the way God will remember us is is that we cry out to God that we are praying to him, and if we pray to him enough, or we say the right words, or we pray often enough, or we're disciplined enough about it, or we have the right formula, you know, those, if you pray this thing enough times, this thing will happen, you know, the, the kind of uh, way we tend to think about that. But what this text tells us is, is that God remembered her first. That God's action towards her, that his heart towards her, that his movement towards her in a, in a way precedes the, her own prayers. That, and then and, and if you struggle with praying today and maybe you've given up on praying about something because you think you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you're not getting God's attention about that. No, we continue to pray because God's already listening to us. He's already moved towards us. We already have the promise of God that Jesus intercedes for us. that The the Spirit is groaning with us, right? Because God is remembering us. We are on his heart and his mind. He has already moved towards us. And so that is what spurs us on to pray. It's not like... We pray enough and God's finally like, oh, he wakes up. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's Steve down there. <coughs> he's asking me to do this. I need to do this for him. No, God takes the initiative first. And so when we read that he remembers, that means God is moving towards Rachel in grace and mercy even before she's aware of it. Even before she asks for it. So what does it mean then that when it says that God remembers? Next slide. It means that God moves towards those of us on when when he remembers. And what he does is he takes action. It's not just that he is near it's not just that he is close but in time and in space the very blessing and the very grace of God that Jesus Christ lived died and rose again to give to us begins to take flesh and begins to happen right there uh, in in our lives now why, why does he do this well God at the very heart of God is his memory we kind of forget that. We, we, we know about the fact that God loves us, but God evidences his love to us by the fact that he makes promises to us and that he remembers those promises, but not only does he remember what he is going to do for us or what he has done for us, what he continues to do for us, he remembers us. He knows you by name. We'll sing uh, in a little bit the, the, the song that tells us that our name is written on his hand that our name is graven in his heart. How could he forget? Right? And so in our pain, in Rachel's pain and her suffering, it seems as if God is absent. But even in the midst of this tumult and this chaos that is this family, God's at work. He had promised Abraham that he would bring through him a great nation and abraham dies with one son by sarah what we see here now is god is beginning to actively move in this in this family and and children are are being born right he remembers us because he loves us that is one of the chief evidences Uh, The fact that God loves us is that he remembers not only to keep his promise, but he remembers how to keep his promise particularly to us. It's not just a general kind of thing. It's a specific personal blessing. Uh, It's a personal connection. It's a personal thing that God knows us knows our needs, knows our hurts, knows our sins, knows our shortcomings, and he still has us graven on his hands and written uh, in his heart. Next slide. One of the uh, great ways for us to kind of understand how this works, how God could be remembering us even in our darkness and how God could be remembering us even in our difficulty is in just a few chapters as you move over to Exodus, we remember that, that Jacob and his clan had to move to, to Egypt, that Joseph had been sent there and that God saves the world through, uh, through Joseph by Uh, causing him to rise through the ranks and to devise this plan where they store grain for seven years because there's going to be seven years of famine. And God saves the world uh, through Joseph as he does that. Well, the problem is Israel is there, all 400 of them. That's about how many uh, end up going uh, 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 to Egypt And there they are. So they've grown from Abraham and Sarah. Now, at the beginning of Exodus, there are 400 of them. But what we read in Exodus chapter 1 is, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful See, we're moving from the barrenness of Rachel to the exceeding fruitfulness of his people. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. That's a poor translation. It's not that the land was filled with them. It's really meaning that the land is swarming with the children of Abraham. God's faithful, even in the midst of Egypt even as they are going to be spending all uh, the, uh, a big chunk of the next 400 years in slavery. It may seem like they're in darkness. It may seem like God is unaware, but he is keeping his promise that he made to Abraham to multiply them greatly. You see, he, here's the thing that, that, we, that is, um, is so hard for us, it's so difficult for us. Because pain overwhelms us, uh, because barrenness of our uh, 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 unfulfilled desires becomes so overwhelming to us, it seems to us like God is absent. He's never absent. And so not only should we pray that God would remember his promise and bring to fruition in time and in space the fruit of the gospel in our lives, we should pray that God would give us eyes to see through the darkness, to see that he is there with us. That there is no place where we can go and no situation where we might be where God is not mindful. God is not faithful. God is not remembering his promise and remembering us by name. So we come now to the table. It's a good thing for us Uh, to gather here because God knows how much we forget and how quick we are to forget. And what does he do? He gives us, uh, as our confession says, sensible signs, things that we, we can hold and see and taste and smell to help us remember that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and that our sins are really forgiven by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Not only that, that we are made righteous in him. Hear these words of uh, institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment set us free from a past that we cannot change open to us a future in which we can be changed by the work of the holy spirit in our hearts grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through jesus christ the light of the world amen Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Paul writes that when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Could you forget that someone died for you? It seems like that would be impossible, right? And yet in in, in much of our time and our lives and the chaos that we live in and live through, we often forget that. Or we're tempted to think that, yes, that happened, but how does it matter? right now, because I want this, or I want that. When our unfulfilled desires or our need becomes greater than our sense of the grace and the favor of God, we really are in a dark place. And yet, in the midst of that, the promise of God is that he has not forgotten us and that he is there even uh, with us, even as we forget about him. The Lord knows we are forgetful people. The Lord knows that uh, it slips off our hearts and our minds very easily, that he loves us, that he is for us, that Jesus has purchased us, and that he is preparing for us even now an eternity where there is no unfulfilled desire, only joy, only fullness, only love. And so as we come to the table today, we celebrate and we look back and remember the fact that Jesus did this for us, and he really did it. And we settle ourselves in the present reality that he is with us and that his righteousness is for us now and that our sins today are forgiven. And we eagerly anticipate a day where we will be with him forever and ever. That's our hope. Even in the midst of pain and deficit, sin and struggle, wrestling, grasping. If that's your hope today and that's your confession, that Jesus died for you, that he rose again for your justification and that uh, his blood atones for your sins, not your own efforts, you proclaim that profess that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus welcomes you today to re-remember the fact that he is with you and that he is for you. As the elders come down front to assist me today, um, let me remind you of a couple of things. The outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. You'll find two cups, uh, one stacked upon the other. There is a gluten-free wafer underneath the cup of uh, juice or wine. Uh, If you are uncomfortable coming uh, forward and taking directly from uh, uh, the hands of one of our uh, elders, you're free to come over here to this table and take it uh, directly uh, off the table. If you can't, uh, come down front, raise your hand, and we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Once everyone has been served, we will uh, eat uh, the bread and drink the cup together.